Welcome to the Music Talk podcast with me, Graham Farmer. In this series of conversations, I interview some of the biggest artists, DJs, and producers in the world. I hope you enjoy this series. Let's get into it. Hi, guys. How are you? How are you doing, mate? Good to see you. Welcome to my shed in my garden and uh, all, the all the shenanigans <laughs> that happen in this stupid place that is in the bottom of my garden. Welcome to Twitch. Thank How you very much. Thanks for having us on. First time on Twitch, I think. Really? Yeah. Could be, yeah. <laughs> did you, Unless did, did unknowingly you... we've been on on someone's Twitch stream, I don't. Certainly the first Spectre time on on Twitch, yeah, <clears> for sure. Nice. How how have, how has how has the last few years been for you? Um, interesting. Well, yeah, I mean <laughs> the last couple. I mean, I guess for anyone in the sort of music or entertainment business, haven't been the best, to be fair. Um, but yeah, no, I mean it's all good. We we sort of took the whole. I mean, the whole COVID situation, it, you know, it had its ups and downs. Obviously, we didn't do any touring for the best part of two years. Um, but we did take the opportunity to write a load of new, new music and, you know, get in the studio and make the best of a best of a bad situation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's been great, but it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of bad timing for us, really, as well, because uh, we just released our third album on on, uh, on craft tech so it was actually january 2020 when we released the album so we basically oh, yeah. had a full year of touring scheduled gig scheduled pr promo for the album scheduled and obviously in march we got four shows in basically and then it all got that was it we did the four four uk dates and then everything closed <laughs> yeah so, so that was pretty much the worst timing you could possibly imagine for us. So, yeah, you know, we had obviously right. pretty much overnight lost a lot of shows and uh, a lot of stuff that we had planned, uh, including the live show, actually. But, oh, um, my God. I, mem I remember all the promo. Going, it was, I remember all the promo and discussion about the album. Yeah. And, oh, my God, that was then. Shit. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the album was still well received. You know, I mean, there was, there was, there's nothing we would change in that regard. But, obviously, normally when you release a body of work like that you know the the then the knock-on effect is that you you know do, you do a tour off the back of it and you know you you benefit in that regard whereas obviously that we've still got the tour dates in to a degree but you know the momentum of it being off the back of the album obviously was you know completely uh obliterated but it, given the situation you know there was people dying there's, pe there's people in much worse yeah. situations so you know what i mean i'm kind of uh was it great no but you know we're both still here we're both still at it so you know it's uh yeah there's there's Plenty of people worse off. So, <laughs> was the album streams affected by lack of touring and lack of? It's hard to say. I mean, we did, unless we, there was a sort of parallel universe where it, none of it happened to compare to. Yeah. It's, diffi you know, it's difficult to say. You know, like I mean, I think streams and sales and stuff were kind of in the ballpark that we anticipated. You know, I think streaming actually uh, across the board kind of did quite well through lockdown because a lot more people were sat around, you know, entertaining themselves at home rather than, uh, you know, rather than being at work or whatever but yeah i mean it's impossible to say really whether there would have been some good knock-on from the tour dates and stuff but yeah i mean there's no point dwelling on it really you know it's uh it, it, it happened we've got through it you know that's that, that that's the only, th only way you can look at it in my opinion all right before we get cracking into the, the main questions we always start with something stupid and uh because we're in a shared in the garden um i don't know when this started but basically off because it's lunchtime we always we started talking about meal deals <laughs> and what what is what what is your go-to meal deal if you go and buy one from the from the from the regular stores, Tesco supermarket, Sainsbury's, and what's that? Something stupid. So go in. What's your what's your go-to meal deal? 
Well, we, we, we are big fans of a meal deal on lunch in the studio. We're both, we're both pretty bad creatures. Yes! Yes, like, I love I'll, a meal deal. My go-to meal deal is definitely Tesco. It's definitely barbecue chicken pasta. It's definitely Ooh. the low-fat popcorn barbecue chips to go with it. The low-sugar coconut water. And... I kind of spoil it a little bit by adding a bit of Nando's Perinase mayonnaise on top of the barbecue Ooh. chicken pasta salad. Works a treat. Lord, <laughs> there you go. Lord, Followed by a bit of mango, definitely. <laughs> Love my mango. Awesome. Uh, a, yeah, that's definitely your like. Is that a, that's my so go-to. My favourite one would be an M&S yep. one, but we're not always feeling that fancy. So probably my regular one <laughs> is a... Um, is yeah morrison's is just down the road so i'd probably go with the um what sandwich do i normally have the like i quite like no not from i don't like the bacon in those i i think my favorite at the moment is the um the greek uh the greek chicken kebab wrap uh with a millionaire shortbread and either an iced coffee or a smoothie you've got to go for an expensive drink otherwise you're not really getting the benefit of the meal deal in my opinion (laughs) yeah i agree yeah i always used to go with a smoothie yeah do you know Wow, you're going going fancy on the millionaire shortbread as well. That's pretty fancy. Yeah, you know, like that's like millionaire shortbread <laughs> from Morrison's. That's that's about my level. That's about my level of fancy. <laughs> my mine was always mine was always the breakfast triple. I always went with the breakfast triple, and then like Ooh. Quavers and like like you say, go fancy with the drink and get the smoothie. But then yeah. recently, I've been on the I've been on the health flex, so it's been the salad, salad, and the and salad, and kind of I always get I always get now a, a coke or something because it's it's just goes in the fridge as a mixer, and I have water when I get home. <laughs> I, feel, I, I feel like if I go and buy water from the shop, I can have it from the tap, and I might as well just buy another. I just actually mixer. had a, a meal deal from Tesco, and I had like a beautifully balanced tuna potato salad. Should we just do yeah. a full interview about meal deals? Like, I, I'm, no, I'm well- no. I feel like I'm well trained. Actually, <laughs> I do, we do as well. We were like even today. We were like, I was like, I was walking around the shop, and I was like, I'm feeling pretty disgusting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back in with a breakfast triple, and we got around, and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm gonna be healthy. I'm gonna have a tuna sandwich and just on the brown bread and keep it healthy as fuck. All good. I thought we'd. I thought we got a lot of time, so I thought we'd talk a lot, a lot about starts and kind of just where we, where your inspirations growing up when we started to kind of give people a little bit of background about you, and then we'll talk about music, and then we'll talk about live shows, and then we'll talk about we'll get some questions from the gang if that's cool. cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, so just literally, I know that you've been guys, you've been allowed to go for a long time. I thought we'd just kind of just start how that happened, where it's happened, and kind of your music you were listening to around the time before you before you joined into each other. That's cool. um, so, I mean, it depends really. I mean, we come from very sort of similar musical backgrounds um, as far as our sort of clubbing days go anyway. So we, I think we've, we have a lot of um, similar influences when it comes to electronic music and when it comes to like dance music, basically, that we, that we both used to go out to in the early days. Yeah, I mean, we both, we, I mean, we didn't actually, met, we, we must have been on the same dance floor a lot of times before we actually met through a mutual friend, but, yeah. <laughs> but we both used to go to Gatecrasher, Cream to a lesser extent, you went to God's quite a lot, God's Kitchen. Sunday Central. And Sunday Central, of course. So yeah, we both kind of in the early 2000s um, were into the whole, you know, trance and hard house UK scene. And yeah, those those influences have, in one shape or form, kind of been with us all the way through, really, I think. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, I mean, if we're talking even earlier than that, I think even stuff like, you know, at school that we used to listen to would have been probably Prodigy, Rage Against the Machine, you know, those kinds of like bands and, and you know, early electronic music influences. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're both definitely heavily influenced by Prodigy, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the ravey stuff, the rave era. I mean, that's kind of what we grew up in. And uh, Well, we, we kind of grew up at the tail end of the rave post era. Rave. That was filter, yeah, post-rave. <laughs> yeah, post-rave. Yeah, so that describes the, our New pretty rave. well, actually. Yeah, yeah, post-rave. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's Most cool. great yeah so um but as far as um a track that we've chosen did you want to yeah yeah let's listen to music <laughs> let's listen to <laughs> music mention, for it. Uh, okay so uh we were asked to choose just a, a track as our influence so um i chose a track called lost in love by legend b which i can remember the first time i heard it was on um a paul oakenfold cd called perfecto floro and this was like really early on in my clubbing days like pro- potentially even before i went to gatecrasher um, and sort of really got into the trance. It was like when I was listening to Essential Mixes and listening to Judge Jules, listening to Pete Tong, um, you know, sort of taping the shows and, and re-listening to them in my car. And then along came this this CD of Paul Oakenfold's, which was Perfecto Floro. And and it played heavily as well on the, you know, the influence of, um, of movie soundtracks, you know, in, intertwined with all these different, you know, rave tracks and, and amazing electronic music. So... Um, for me, that was something that was really stood out in in my early years and was a big influence on me. And Legend B, Lost in Love, was just the outstanding track on on that that album. I I remember that CD. I remember that CD well. Jesus, I think I had that CD as well. Yeah. Uh, and from a crasher, were you a, were you a crasher? Were you a crasher kid, Rich? No, I was more of a shiny. I think they used to call it. <laughs> Probably like a bit of a glow and like. Flashing T-shirts and a bit of uh, cyber paint and all that, but but not a full nice. on uh, full on crash. Nice. I don't. I had the flashing T-shirt as well. That was fun. I'm sure there's some incriminating photo evidence. Oh, there's, def- there's definitely some photos <laughs> of me at some potential that I wish didn't exist. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> right, we, let's listen to this track. I've got it. We've got it lined up. So let's listen to this. Let's go back. Okay. I love this. Oh, look, the thing works as well that way. Cool. That was a that was a what a record, beast, absolute oh, beast. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah, the, what a record. That's so fast and so hard. Yeah, it's. I think it was actually slowed down a bit on Perfecto Flora because it was it was faster though. But it wasn't that fast, but yeah, it it's, it's a crazy. It's, it's, it kind of sounds its age now, but like the sort of musical elements and everything of it is still just so. Uh, yeah, so good. We've actually just done a little uh, a little Spectre re-rub of that for our sets as well, actually, which has been doing the business recently. Ours, ours isn't at 160 BPM. We've, we've dropped it down a little bit, but it's... Uh, yeah, you might have seen it posted on our socials, actually. We've done a few videos with it in. Yeah. 
Nice. That's really cool. Working well, actually. Really, really good. Goes off. It does. Good for <laughs> festivals. Yeah, big festival festival moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you, and you, okay, that's mad. Um, and then Paul, you chose. Uh, well, mine's going to sound really pedestrian now after that. We maybe should have done the other order. But, um, <laughs> I came to mine uh, in a similar way, actually. So, like, s- similar to Rich, like, before I was even going out clubbing, I was listening to, you know, the stuff on the radio and also a lot of compilation CDs. And actually, um, on Dave Pierce Dance Anthem CD, of all things, it had the Hard Floor remix of Mori Kanta, Yaki Yaki, on it, yeah. uh, which is amazing. I mean, I almost chose that, actually, but that then led me on to, I've always been a bit of a digger when it comes to these things. So I then sort of dug into more of Hard Floor's catalogue and obviously found that Aspirience was their kind of, you know, magnum opus, if you like. So yeah, that's my choice. It's just whether, whether a couple of minutes of it does it justice or not is uh, is another question, because it's like a sort of nine or ten minute acid epic, but uh, we'll have a have a little listen to a chunk from the middle of it, and uh, yeah, you'll I get know. the idea. Yeah. Everyone can go yeah, and check that, it out if they want to. Yeah, that, that's what. Yeah, I was going to say it's nine. I was looking at it, it as like nine minutes long. I was thinking, where are we going to play this from? I'll find a bit in the middle. Let's see. What we're, let's yeah, find a bit in the middle. There we go. It was, uh, but yeah, like it became a really sort of, when I was sort of learning my craft a bit as a producer, like things like that were the real sort of game changers to me, you know, because that came out in like, it was, it was really, you know, it was, it was already quite an old track when I first heard it in like the early 2000s. I think it came out in like 93 or 94 or something like that. It was really early. And yeah, you know, listening to that compared to other stuff of its time, you know, everyone else was making sort of like really sort of strip, strip back raw breakbeat hardcore and stuff. And there's these two German guys with these like intricately layered, you know, beautifully crafted sort of acid masterpieces. So yeah, it was a real sort of, there was some proper producer goals going on uh, listening to the hard floor stuff back then. Right. So then when you mentioned we started, uh, you've had a load of production through the last few years and I thought we'd mm-hmm. play the, the latest track, which is called Endless Days. Tell us about it before we play it. So it was kind of, so basically Endless Days is kind of a bit of a like third iteration of something. So in lockdown, we, initially we were really despondent when it came to writing music because we, you know, we make club tunes at the end of the day and there was no clubs or festivals to play them at, you know? So we were kind of in a bit of a like, we initially were like, let's make, let's make good use of the time. And then we were like, kind of got into a bit of a, what's the fucking point phase. <laughs> but then we thought, let's just do some different stuff, you know, cause we both like lots of different music outside of, uh, of the techno that we make. So we sort of sat down and made a few, a couple of sort of just lower BPM, break BE, kind of just some, you know, electronic music that wasn't techno basically. And then one of the tracks we did with that, we kind of then revisited later on once we were actually kind of, you know, there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And we took the piano part from this track that we never really did anything with and put it into, you know, a more straight up kind of techno you know, framework like what we would normally do. 
and yeah, that became Endless Days, really. Uh, and then we actually sort of went backwards again and did a breakbeat mix of it to go on the B-side, which is, uh, it kind of was a bit of a weird a weird se- nice. sequence of events. It certainly wasn't a typical track. Yeah, definitely. Um, it kind of came about in the, during the, the summertime as well. I, I think mm-hmm. there was a, a period of uh, of COVID that was just like super hot through like May and June, <laughs> um, yeah. leading, leading up to the summer. Um, and yeah, it was just a, one of those sort of like summery vibe kind of tracks that, that yeah. like bore out of what we'd done before. Yeah, definitely. I think so initially it was trying to make the you know it was trying to enjoy the summery vibes despite everything being you know not not great and then sort of the second revisit of it the techno one was us actually having a potentially good summer ahead of us finally and sort of you know so the same sort of little bit of sentiment or bit of idea from it kind of sort of worked in two ways really yeah I definitely feel like the techno definitely suffered like as a genre mostly through the pandemic because you see like the house genres and they were like obviously they're very radio friendly and very kind of playlist yeah. friendly and there's definitely and they certainly seem to do be okay and there seems to be music kind of coming all, on all the labels but there definitely seem to be us like across the techno labels that i kind of work with from a from a dt point of view a nude point of view that there definitely seems to be like a drop in kind of output because i think like streaming saying, wise it's, it's dance live, floor wise isn't it yeah exactly streaming wise and live streaming wise i felt i felt like people were more interested in tuning into kind of listen like home listening kind of styles of music that were a bit more down tempo mm. um whereas the techno streams i think although possibly the biggest artists had had some big streams and stuff you know th- there was probably less you know demand totally. for that you know because i think you know i would listen to a defected stream or an anjuna deep stream or something like yeah, that while i'm doing stuff around the house the you know as background music <laughs> yeah. whereas i wouldn't listen to an amelie lens or a charlotte dewitt set while i was you know like doing the diy or whatever <laughs> Yeah, 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 there was there was a few, weren't there? Like I say, there's a couple of really big ones, and then and like I say, the rest of it was. It definitely, it definitely struggled, didn't it, as a genre? I mean, even someone like Carl Cox, you know, he, he kind of did something completely different and just like dug into his old vinyl collection, did all. They were cool, though. I enjoyed those. Yeah, yeah, they were great. They were great. Yeah. So um, with endless days, we finally got to the, the stage where we, mm. uh, you know, we, we penciled it in the release schedule, and you know, we we wanted to kind of play it out at our gigs and stuff and test it and everything first. But then, you know, we finally uh, ended up with it on our own label. Yeah, and I think um, so. the, with the story behind it, it was the perfect track to be the first one back after all the all the shit as well. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> cool, let's play this. track where do you start where, when you start making tracks where do you start what's the process for you guys could be lots of different things really um possibly finding an, an interesting sample maybe using an old record for inspiration uh possibly just you know being in the studio working on a little groove separately you know i mean i'd say 90 percent of our time we, we spend this um in the studio we spend it together um you know when we're when we're finishing tracks 
we work together. We like to be in the same room. You know, um, obviously, our Spectre Studios down at, at Paul's house in the garage. So this is the room that's been treated nice. properly and, and that we spend most of our time in. But we can work on stuff separately, you know. It might be like just a little 16-bar groove or just a couple of elements that we're, we're kind of like piecing together. But um, usually we'll we'll then bring them in together and work yeah. on them work on them together. So. I would say the one thing we do, like what we start with, we don't have a particular thing that we always start with, but the one thing we do always do is have an idea first. Um, we're really not big fans of sort of sitting in, front of, in sitting in front of a blank screen and just kind of like throwing things around randomly. You know, we'll always have had a conversation conversation before or you know played each other a few records or you know there'll always be a bit of a concept even if it's just in our heads rather than written down somewhere there'll always be a bit of an idea of what we're going to do you know even if it's as vague as we're going to do something with a big trancy melody or we're going to do you know something really hard you know but there's always at least a bit of a you know a bit of premeditation to to what we do before we sit down and, and start working that's cool and like kick that was like that thumped guys that's a big track <laughs> <laughs> where where how how are we making that thump so those sound feet are you are you in boxes are you in the box are you making using hardware like i'm a big fan um, of a big kick as we know we know so, in the chat yeah yeah well, i mean us too i mean we kept we came from like hard house and trance and uh through techno yeah. so yeah if we, if we were no good at kick drums we probably wouldn't have lasted so long <laughs> but um it's um yeah i mean there's no real secret to it in terms of equipment um like we do we have we've used a few bits of outboard over the over the years like it mainly sense rather than processing stuff um but i think endless days was done completely in the box to be honest i don't think there's any outboard on that at all um and uh, yeah, the kick, it's just a few layers. I mean, working on the layers and being careful to make sure that the layers are always doing something. Because the, the, I think some people fall into the trap of thinking, right, I must layer my kicks and pile a load of stuff on top of each other. And it ends up being reductive in the end because, you know, if the layers aren't complementing one another, it actually, you know, you've got five kicks playing quietly rather than one kick playing loud at the end of the day. So yeah, and paying a lot of attention to phase as well. You know, if you've got multiple low end elements, making sure that the phase is lined up on those between the kick and the bass and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it's more so of attention to detail and you know taking a bit of time to craft it rather than there being any sort of magic element in terms of um you know processing or or gear really i think you know it's just a few, it's mainly just ableton uh, instrument rack with a few layers the, i can't remember off the top of my head but there might have been a bit of saturation from something like decapitator or something on there but nothing nothing too drastic yeah that's the that's the usual one that's the usual one in the chat is the uh the what the go-to what are your go-to plugins the ones you use the most and uh so let's ask those that normally ask that were not here, but I'll ask it for them anyway. It's a standard question. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what? Every stream, it's a sta- It's in their standard, and there's and there's one person yeah. that always standardly asks it. So let, I know they're not here, but they'll they'll definitely want to know it. I'm sure. So we're really into like the, uh, what Yuhi do, um, the Yuhi plugins. Um, so the one that is our go-to out of all of them is is Diva. Mm-hmm. Um, for the real kind of like analog sort of you know two oscillator kind of like <laughs> yeah with, yeah with the unison on it and like that kind of like classic diva sound um, yeah yeah is definitely I mean, what it, we go it, for it's basically like it's the ultimate <clears throat> VA for me you know you can you can get it sounds I mean I'm sure there's other analog purists out there who'd uh, you know say that it's, it, it isn't as good but it's so close as makes no odds at, the, at that stage for me Diva on with it set to divine is really really close and you've got the beauty that you can have as many of them you know you can have 10 instances open you can you can duplicate it and pan them a bit left and right you know like whereas if you had a mini moog you could you know you can't do you, you know you'd need two to do that so it's um yeah lots of little tricks like that so in terms Diva's of what we normally use for bass isn't it uh, either Diva or operator that's true yeah, yeah. like Diva's definitely the go-to for leads and we do use it for bass sometimes 
Um, but yeah, for the, I was going to come on to that. Actually, so probably my sa- the second most used would be Operator, which is just one of the Ableton stock synths. And it's uh, the, I think Operator is a little bit misunderstood because it's an FM synth, which are a bit of a, always a bit awkward to program anyway. And secondly, the, the presets that come with it are fucking terrible. Like the. You know, <laughs> If you flick through the presets, like no offense if anyone from Ableton's watching, but like you could really do with getting some like better factory presets for operator because yeah, if you flick through the presets, you would think this isn't really a great synth. You know, they're kind of all right FM sounds, you know, bells and chimes and things, but nothing to me at least that really stood out. Whereas if you kind of learn it and program it, it's the absolute daddy for sub basses, sort of warpy garage basses, you know, like donk kind of, you know, those metallic plasticky kind of sort of percussive synths. So yeah, like it's a uh, maybe a Spectre operator presets pack is a uh, Project for, the, project for the next lockdown. Yeah, if you, if you can use it well and program it from scratch, which, which obviously Paul can, um, then then it's definitely uh, definitely good. It's a sense worth investing some time in, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the other ones of, of the Yuhi ones that we use are, are repro quite a lot. We, we You know, um, to the point where we've even bought the, yeah, the we pro, actually bought the pro, pro one, one. Yeah, um, yeah. for our live show. Um, and obviously Hive as well. Yeah. Hive's another Yuhi one. Hive a bit more for the sort of clean digital sounding bits um and then effects wise we've kind of had a bit of reverbs wise we had a bit of a switch actually we used to use a thing called breeze but it seems to have been abandoned so we've switched over to valhalla recently i'm sort of happy with that choice really valhalla vintage and valhalla room are our kind of reverb go-tos now and then the sound toy stuff they're the, they're, they'd be the desert island ones if i had the full yuhi suite <laughs> valhalla. yeah and sound toys, I'd be happy. Like an Ableton, like, I could, yeah, an Ableton, obviously, yeah. Like I could, I could live with that. Well, there's lots of other bits and bobs we use from time to time, but they're the, you know, they're the ones that are in every project. I would say. I might need a meal deal here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always a meal deal. Always a meal deal. You, you bring the barbecue chicken salad. I'll yeah. bring the flickers. I'll, I'll bring the ketchup. <laughs> Surround sound, so proof it's not what you use, but how you use it. Exactly with Ableton t- conversation. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and that's 100% true. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm a bit of a geek with this stuff and I read lots of old interviews from, you know, artists that I grew up on, you know, Orbital and The Prodigy and stuff like that. And, you know, you read an interview with Liam Howlett from the sort of mid to late 90s. He made Jilted Generation, sorry, he made Jilted Generation and Prodigy Experience on a sampler that didn't even really have a display. You know, like at the point, <laughs> at the point where you, if, if you can't make something good with Ableton and the stock Ableton stuff, like, the equipment isn't the issue <laughs> you know like you know if you've got creativity and ideas you know you, you look at those guys and the, the you know the amazing music that they made with stuff that you know is so primitive compared to to what we've got now it's uh yeah like the tools the tools are very rarely the limitation with dance music now i don't think i read the same with homework as well on daft punk and homework it was like mm. limited 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 tools but just made something amazing yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes though, having, you know, if you've got even just like the Ableton and the stop plugins, you've got so many possibilities, you know, sometimes that, you know, having too much choice can almost be counterproductive. You know, I think Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, Daft Punk had a compressor, a sampler and a desk, (laughs) you know, and they were like, right, well, and a really good record collection. You know, that was, that was why they sounded the way they did. You know, probably if they'd had, you know, 500 cracked plugins and a load of synth presets and stuff like that, they never would have come out sounding the way they did, you know, so sometimes the limitations are good. So worth imposing limitations on yourself sometimes as well, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So around I also like the Desert Islands plugins. That's quite a cool thing. We should, uh, we should definitely have that as a question. We'll just change it a little bit and it's a, you're now your Desert Island plugins. You've got to call it spec Desert Island plugins. <laughs> oh no, oh no, we definitely will. Because in a little bit, we got the in a little bit, you're gonna get asked the Pete Griffiths question as well, because Pete Griffiths has got a question right. as well. And we also we also have, for those that really go back, we had John Newman on. We had the John Newman question. So if in the chat you need to know something, we can always use the uh I need to know. 
<laughs> if you need to know something, you need you know we can press the button. It's all there. So there is Brilliant. definitely the Spectre's uh, Desert Island disco Desert Island plugins question. Oh, we we'll keep adding these. It's well good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned there's a breaks mix of the of End of Stage. Should we listen to that as well? While we're, while yeah, we're yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. I love that. That's wicked. Oh, nice Big one. Thanks, track man. again. Yeah, we got some quite good radio support on that one as well, actually. We had, um, yeah, the, a few guys on Kiss and, uh, yeah, a few of the dance stations playing that. So it was quite, kind of quite nice, actually. He's made the change from just doing super underground, you know, just cl- club-only stuff to doing, uh, yeah, doing something a little bit more uh, with a little bit of a broader appeal. Radio's been loving the breaks, haven't they? Radio's been absolutely loving breaks. Yeah, definitely. With all, you know, with the likes of Bicep and Frankie War and people like that, it's... Um, yeah, it's uh, it's nice. It's, it's a sound we've always loved. You know, I used to go to a club called Urban Gorilla in Sheffield, which was all plump DJs and uh, you know crafty cuts, uh, elite force people like that. And yeah, I always mm. loved that sound back in in that era. So it's nice to hear a bit of that kind of creeping back in again. To be honest, like you just said, it's it's more radio friendly and and obviously good good for the streaming side of things, which is something we probably were focusing on a bit more. In uh, I think Paul's already said um, during COVID is is you know just making some some completely different stuff, and and that's that's what where the piano came from. Um, just making some sort of blissed out chords and pads and stuff and and putting it in a sort of breakbeat kind of down tempo thing yeah. which has been been good for the streaming and the spotify and it's fun as well you know freshen things up a little bit you know yeah. if you do the same thing all the time it can you know regardless of how much you like a thing i think if you have if you do too much of the same thing it gets so it can it can get a bit stale so you know throwing the odd curveball in like that's a good way to uh you know sort of shuffle the deck mix the pot whatever you want to call it and uh yeah sort of freshen things up I guess you've got quite a wide fan base that, that you can kind of go that wide and kind of change sound a little bit and they'll go with you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think to a point, you know, like I think if we suddenly started putting loads and loads of different stuff out, I think you can, you can lose people. I don't think we're quite at that level of, you know, you have certain big big acts that are really at the top of the tree and they can just mm-hmm. do anything, you know, they could put out, you know, a minimal album and then put out like a, you know, a, a, a book of folk songs or whatever. Um, but, <laughs> You know, I don't think we're quite at that level yet, but it's, um, yeah, I, I think we've, uh, our fan base, uh, it's certainly accepting of a bit of broadness. And I think that's um, that's a nice thing. I mean, I think earlier on in our career, in fact, we, we were, yeah, we were speaking to you before about these sort of like bits of key advice. So it's kind of touching on one of those things, but I think it's something you have to be very careful of as an artist that, you know, like showing your breadth is important, but also knowing what your fans want and not alienating them is also important. So it's a bit of a tightrope walk. Yeah, I agree completely. Like, I got, yeah, you see so many people going, I'm making all this music and I'm like, what? And you've got like a hundred fans and you're trying to go all over the place with your music. It's just, it's just going to, 
just confusing a little bit as well. Let's talk about the label. How how's that been through the through the last few years? Have you did you keep releasing? Did you stop? Did you what, how did that work for you? We slowed down. We were previously doing a release every month, um, and we we yeah we slowed it down a little bit. So, but we were still releasing music. But it was a tricky one because obviously people whose music we'd already signed and committed to releasing, you know, people still wanted the music to be out there. So obviously, you know, we weren't going to change that. We weren't going to backtrack on anything. But equally, there was an element of us that was that knew we couldn't do some of the releases the justice that they deserved because so much of you know the music that we release relies on dj support and relies on people playing it you know the buzz from a track you know now comes from either a hearing it out or b seeing a video of somebody playing it out you know that's kind of the you know the way that buzz is generated these days so, so we did there's a couple of really good tracks that we put out that didn't do as well as they could have done just because of circumstances which was a shame and also another thing i would say is is when you come to sign things as well for the label like that's one thing that we will always do is test the records out ourselves and and that was something again that we couldn't do so it was more like you know we could release what we had in the schedule but in terms of actually signing anything obviously because again it's dance floor music there was no dance floors we couldn't test the records out we couldn't say exactly if there was something little tweaks that we needed or you know any sort of feedback that we would normally give the artists and, and do a bit of a and ring with the records that was kind of lost um, that whole process and like Paul said, the DJ support and any sort of real good content for for sharing and pushing the release, that was lost as well. So, you know, we kind of felt like it was natural to slow down, but not completely stop yeah. because we didn't want to just, you know, completely, completely lose the momentum that we have of the label. But thankfully, we are now talking in the past tense and things, things are looking better now. We're kind of back to, yeah, back to, back to full capacity, back to I've got some really, we've had some really good stuff out already in the past uh, past year or so we just released uh, the sixth installment of our prospect series which we started a few years ago and it was kind of set up because we were getting sent lots of demos from or you know being put in touch with new new artists or up-and-coming artists that probably weren't at the stage where releasing an EP on the label would have done it justice, you know, that it wouldn't have got the recognition that it deserved. But equally, a lot certainly when we first started it, there was a lot of labels putting out these VA compilations with like 12 or 15 tracks on. And like, more. yeah, more even. Like, And if you were an up-and-coming artist, it was great to be on that label. But if you're track 14 of 16 on a VA, like, you know, a lot of those tracks got overlooked. So we wanted to try and redress that balance a little bit and do a VA, a various artists compilation but with a limited number of artists so that everyone really got a good a good slice of the attention so we've kept that concept going really uh, and yeah the sixth installment is is out is out now with four really good tracks on it we, at the start we mixed it up a little bit as well and, and and kind of tried to do something a little bit different where we um we showcased two tracks from each artist so in the, in the early stages of prospect that was what we did we, we sort of put two tracks from it from say three to four artists yeah, yeah. um and and so the, yeah the early prospects were were a kind of a bit fuller yeah um but this one in particular has got four tracks from four different artists and and all of them are, are sort of up and coming rising talent yeah that, yes that we're really feeling basically Definitely. so yeah we've got sam kit on there who's a, a wicked welsh producer he's had some stuff on tronic and he you know he's had quite a few releases um elsewhere but definitely one to watch uh joe pool who's um released on say what ramon tapia's label and has also mm -hmm. signed a couple of bigger things recently which um yeah we're super excited for uh for for what she's got coming up but we'll not uh we'll not spoil the reveal on that one <laughs> wicked uh wicked german producer yeah, who we met. berlin friend yeah was it berlin or cologne we met him we met a cologne friend <laughs> yeah like he's just told think, me he's think, in berlin i think so. he is a berliner but i think he was in cologne for that gig for some reason yeah That'll be it. 
and then a collaboration between uh, David Degar and Nico Cabeza as well, which is uh, a little bit deeper and a little bit proggier, but still, yeah, still a wicked tune. One we've played played a, a good number of times. They all, they yeah, all kind of cover, cover a different area, actually. Like, yeah, it's a good very deep. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. You could play all four in a long set. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what we found. Like each one covers a different kind of bass for us, so that's what we really, really sort of would go on to. That's mental. I definitely want to get to listen to all of them. I, I'm a big fan of Joe Paul. I've supported her for a long time. I'm off course, our channels, and yeah, we the hope. Like I say, I say what track was amazing. Uh, she's yeah. done two mixes for us, which have been both like both like literally. She sent them through, and I'd be like, like li- playing it, and I'm like, yes, Joe, like in the <laughs> office, going, come on, this is wicked. This mix, like she absolutely smashes it when it comes to. She's good at what she does, and she's yeah, she's got a real clear yes. vision of what she wants her sound to be like and what she wants to do as well. Which is uh, yeah, you don't always get that, so it's really uh, yeah. Really good thing. So yeah, I've not actually checked it out for for you guys yet. Actually, so I need I need to grab that and stick it on my uh, stick it on my SD card for the car. <laughs> oh, get both of them. The, 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 well, this one and the previous the previous ones are just as good as well. So, but yeah, let's talk just from a label point of view. Like you're signing unsigned artists, uh, new artists, which is great. So, how do you go about signing artists and? What's the process for you and what, what should people do when they're sending you music? Let's talk about that first. Um, I think when it comes to demo submissions, I mean, it's probably nothing new to people. They've probably heard the similar tips before. You know, don't send too much music. You know, stick to sort of two, three, four of your strongest tracks. You know, don't flood the artists. I would say try and build up a sort of personal kind of email and and repertoire with with the artist that you're sending it to don't send a bulk email to lots of different labels especially don't cc all of the labels <laughs> bcc <laughs> is is definitely the way forward if you're going to send it to multiple people but to be honest i would do individual emails to one or two labels and try and build up some kind of um yeah like a report a, like a, a, yeah a relationship yeah. with the labels uh, you know it helps if you go and speak to these people in person obviously that yeah. always helps if and you, I mean, if you put a name to the face. I would also say like patience is a thing because I mean we I mean we're not even a big label but we get a lot of demos and it isn't always our number one priority to to listen to listen to demos you know if we're busy touring or rehearsing the live show as we are at the moment you know finding time to do that so it may well be that we do sometimes take a number of weeks to get back on things and I, yeah I wish we had the time to be listening to demos every day but we just don't unfortunately so yeah like keep, keep sending stuff don't get disheartened you know keep sending stuff maybe wait a week for a response send a reminder, wait another week. And then if it's not happening, move on to the next label. That, yeah. that would be my advice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously when it's SoundCloud links, you're going to be able to tell if it's, if it's been played, which definitely helps, but also SoundCloud reduces quality. So make them downloadable or don't make them downloadable straight away. Wait for the artist to ask because if they want to play it out, they will have to download it. Therefore, you know, it's been listened to, you know, they might be feeling it enough to want to play it out. So SoundCloud can be your friend. Definitely. Dropbox also works. Yeah. Um, but try and stick to your strongest tracks and make sure that it suits the label really as well. Make sure you know the labels that you're sending it to because the amount of demo emails that we get where you know it's completely the wrong genre it's not you it's know, like it's a reggaeton track or something you know, they're like just that, bulk you know? sending <laughs> out tracks to to this huge e- it's like email just, database it's like they've just googled record label yeah. and then sent it to everyone <laughs> you know, so the, you know the, like the, you're the not going to get any success doing that <laughs> yeah the amount of music that we have to go through to actually get to the the you know the good stuff the, yeah. the, the, even techno to, to actually get to techno like you know it's very very um yeah it's, it's crazy how much music we get sent and that's not suitable for our label yeah. so make sure you know who you're sending it to um and know the sound of the label and yeah just just keep it focused really Oh my God, you're not even getting to some people are not even sending you techno. That's mental. 
Like, mm. Oh yeah, but like half half the demos inbox is just like random like rap tracks or reggaeton tracks or you know just like yeah just not just stuff that isn't even dance music is is insane. Yeah, yeah. I, I could un- I could understand the kind of there's techno's quite wide these days and it's quite there's quite oh yeah yeah. I could I could I can understand the different variations of techno, but not even getting techno. That's that's ridiculous. Come on, yeah, yeah. Send the right music. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, should we listen to some of the track off the off this off the EP? Um, yeah, sure. let's play some. Let's get some music in. You mentioned there's a kind of uh, a width of kind of genre, like kind of subgenres in this in this EP. So I want to see, want to hear it all as well. It's really cool. Sweet, all good. Um, let's play this. Holy crap. That was great. Yeah, it's a beast. Yeah, it's a big tune. Do you know, I was just thinking about this fun. What could be fun is, uh, tell me, like, so you obviously heard that track as a demo. What mm. bit grab, when when did you go, I want this on the label? What what was the, what was the thing that made you, that's made you sign this record? And let's do it for each one. Like, did you know Sam? Had you been speaking to him before? Had you signed a record from Sam? Tell, tell her, let's go through that. It might kind of reiterate the points we were making before. For me, it was just having a, having a, a hook. You know, it was it was something that was memorable. It was standout. You know, the 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 break element that you know the lead in the break um, that was just so hooky and so memorable and just stuck in your head. Um, and it also it had a kind of guitar influence to it as well. That that was something that we hadn't always heard on um, on a lot of techno demos. You know, it was something completely different and outside the box. Yeah, we'd been we'd been chatting to Sam, and um, he you know given he's sent us a few demos before, and we'd been sort of going backwards and forwards and giving him a few bits of advice and stuff. And one thing that we discussed was he used to be into like metal and sort of prog metal and stuff like that and we were like yeah just take some ideas from the other music that you're into and kind of like you know uh, infuse the music that you're making with those ideas and that was kind of the, the track that he did sort of taking that little bit of advice on board and you know having the sort of the kick drum following the riff you know it's very much like a sort of uh, like a, like what a metal track would do um and yeah it's just got a bit of identity you know it's unique it's got um it's got character and i think that's one thing that we're always looking for you know like you can go through the you know the techno top 100 on beatport or or whatever downloads like and there's a lot you know there, there can be I'm probably in every genre to be fair not just techno and you know there's kind of ends up being quite a lot of stuff that's a bit cookie cutter you know that can just be a bit like they've sort of listened to okay well the, all the big tracks have got x y and z in it so I'll make something with that in and you know they kind of like are functional but don't really have much identity sometimes yeah so you know we try and avoid those <laughs> I think instantly as well with the Sam track it was one of those where you know we'd put a few demos in in the in the playlist for us to play out and and every every set we were just going straight to that track you know yeah. that's always a, you know a great test for us it was Definitely. just one of those that it it fit many moments in our set and and you know we we'd never not want to play it so yeah if you go from needing to test it out to wanting to play it every set yeah. that's kind of you definitely know that it's <laughs> definitely 
Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, that's also interesting. Like, obviously, he'd been sending you stuff before that maybe wasn't right as well, which is then, and you were helping him back, go back and forth. That's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Because the stuff that he'd said is, was, it, well, you know, it was good music, but it just wasn't quite right for some respect. You know, like, if, um, and we'll always try and do that, you know, try and try and help people out because, you know, at the end of the day, if someone's clearly got something there and, you know, it's just not quite executed right, or, you know, they've obviously got the talent, but the tracks that they've done so far aren't quite, you know, the one. It's always, you know, I mean, the, even if they don't end up signing it to us in the end, you know, I'd, I'd, the more good music there is out there, the better for everybody, in my opinion. So it's uh, yeah, we'd always always try and sort of help and give a bit of bit of guidance. Yeah, we'll always we encourage and give uh, you know um, constructive criticism. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I love I love that they have had that persistence as well, and, and but also like you're saying from the from the earlier point, so they've built that relationship now that you're then helping them and. They've, they've yeah. obviously finally got there with that one over the line, which is cool. Definitely. Yeah. And like Sam, actually, we were saying, Rich was saying about, you know, the, sort of building a personal relationship thing. We did a show at the Vaults in Cardiff, which is round the corner from where Sam lives. And, you know, he came down, we had a beer with him, stuff Helps. like that. <laughs> and it does, you know, it does, um, it does make a difference because then next time you get an email, you can picture the guy, you know, or the, the, or the girl that you spoke to. And it's like, oh yeah, that was that guy who I, you know, had a beer with at that gig. You know, it sounds you have a bit of a chat and stuff and immediately you can picture the person. You know, whereas if it's just like, DJ X on an email, you know, you've you don't have any preconception or any warp towards it, you know. So it's always um if you've got the opportunity to to meet people in in person and make the effort to do that, I think that always uh, always helps. Yeah, networking can help. And that was, sure. you know, the same for both of us when we were starting out, actually. You know, yeah. like I, I was handing out demo CDs in person to DJs at shows, you know, and that was yeah. how I got my early breaks, Totally so. that's my first experience of Miami was just going there with a with a case <laughs> full of CDs, just giving them to as many people as I could. But obviously when you have that face to face meeting, even if they're not into the music, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to email you back and say, oh, you know, thanks for the music. You know, it's not for me, or I think this person might like it, or, you know, it was great to meet you. You know, here's my feedback. You know, at least you can take something from that experience because you've met them face to face and built that personal connection. So that's definitely valuable if you can do that. Yeah. Not yeah. always possible. Not always But possible. it's, uh, yeah, if you can do. <laughs> Love that. Right. Let's, let's, let's play Joe Paul. I'm excited to hear this. go that was joe paul yeah that's smacked yeah it's a tune yeah it's big yeah yeah really really nice i love the little slow down speed up motion in the middle that was sick yeah it's clever how she did that actually because you, you do hear that sometimes but like i suppose first time i listened to it i didn't even really notice you know the amount that she slowed it down it's just enough that it has the impact but it doesn't sound like you know sort of 
comical or you know over mm. uh, you know sort of uh, over over exaggerated. So yeah, it's, it's it's a good little trick and um, yeah, good track because there's little elements of it that when we first heard it that reminded us of I think it's an old Oliver Klein track or something like that. But there's an old you know sort of Germany tech trance kind of thing that had that similar little riff in it. Not the same, but similar kind of idea that I always loved. And it was just like yeah, just immediately because Joe said again, Joe sent us quite a lot of music before, but that was one that really that just really grabbed both of our attention. Definitely, yeah. And, I, and like like I said before, I think it just covers a different base, you know, mm. for for the EP and and also from the kind of stuff that we put out on the label. Um, you know, it's not the sort of obvious like track that we would put necessarily in our sets, although we have played it. Um, but it's just got that more rolling kind of vibe, you know, a bit more hypnotic, not not particularly industrial or raw, but you know, mm. just like heads down, rolling yeah. like all the way through. It's about that groove rather yeah. than it being about a big riff or a big yeah. you know big synth or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. which yeah, is nice. So, yeah, it's just really nice. And as we mentioned before, she's doing some great stuff. So yeah, mm-hmm. Joe, keep going. Um, Cosmo, tell me about Cosmo. So yeah, Cosmo is yeah. the guy that we met in in Berlin or in Cologne. <laughs> in Cologne from Berlin. He's yeah. from Berlin, and we met him in Cologne at a gig. In fact, I've I've played with him recently again in, in Cologne at another party called Helios. So yeah, just re- really sound guy. Um, you know, has has come with us with a, with a few different demos. Again, somebody that we've been talking to a lot over over the sort of the months that we've known him. He's come with a few other tracks, like one which we've played once, I think, a sort of rave mm-hmm. piano-y thing, and then and then he kind of like has been tweaking his his demos that he's been sending to us and uh, and. This this one just stood out for us. Yeah, in the back of the net. Yeah. But I mean, again, it was actually, again, it's going back to the personal connections thing at risk of sounding like a broken record. He was friends with one of the guys who was at like a DJ dinner with us when we were playing at that gig. So obviously he's a DJ and you know, knew a few people, but he'd, you know, t- sort of tagged along to dinner and was, you know, nice guy we were chatting to over dinner. And, you know, immediately then I was like, oh, what kind of music do you make? What kind of stuff are you doing? You know, can I send you a demo? And suddenly it's a much more, you know, it's a much more, um, you know, you already know that you're probably going to like it from having spoken to him. Yeah. So, but yeah, let's have a listen. It's a wicked tune. Fair play for tagging along to the DJ dinner. That's that's a that's a that's a that's a swift move, Cosmo. Good good efforts. I like that one. go holy crap that was great that reminds that reminds me of the gallery mid 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 dance floor of the gallery wicked in the old in the mid 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 noughties yeah terminals gallery that was wild good oh that was a great track great Love club that. as well yeah terminals yeah <laughs> proper maze. maze i got lost in there many times yes yes um, in a good way but yeah lo- love love that that thumped oh yeah and also daboot daboots how'd you say that daboot Dabutsu music. He's done your course, Paul. Apparently, ah, nice, wicked. Yeah, that was that was definitely that sort of got me through uh, through the last couple of years as well, doing a bit more of the tutorial stuff, which was uh, yeah enjoyable actually. It's sort of nice to uh, yeah nice to share the knowledge a little bit and uh, yeah sort of help help other people make some music. 
Yeah, definitely. I love that. And then the final track, David Dager and Nico, Nico Cabeza. Cabeza. Um, yeah. I've been into Nico Cabeza. I know him well. Uh, and I think I've done premieres with David Dager as well. So this is an interesting collaboration. Yeah, it's a really good track. And again, you know, they've sent us quite a bit of music in the past, but this is one that just sort of, um, yeah, ticks the boxes. And as Rich was saying before, it kind of rhymes out the EP nicely. You know, it's a little bit deeper, a little bit more proggy, kind of reminds us of some of the old sort of Marco V era, yeah, kind of tech trance stuff. Definitely a Marco V tinge to the riff, yeah, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, which, but, but um, in a, wow. in a really, yeah, 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 it's really it's, nice. But yeah, it's a bit groovy, a little bit deeper than the other two, but yeah, nice, a nice, a nice fourth track on the EP, definitely. Nice. And they've released on some good labels as well, like Cosmic Boys label and Mark Mark. Cantonio's label as well which is cool uh, arguably they kind of fit less into the the up and coming category yeah, than, probably, than the other three probably been around a bit while. longer yeah. than, than the other three to be honest but um, it's the first time that they've really kind of it's the first thing that's fitted for respect yeah. I think is the, is the thing you know yeah. they've made lots of good music before but yeah it's the first track that really fitted for us and it sort of made made sense to put it on the EP cool okay let's play this Go, but yeah, like, I feel in the uh, tech trance straight away, man. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. All those influences kind of coming full circle and uh, and coming back around again. To be honest, I'm into it. <laughs> right, um, the the asked a good question. Any advice for solo artists who start their own labels to help them go further? I mean, I guess making sure that people have got the records is the important thing. You know, like you'll get more if you get some, you know, big artist in whatever scene it is that you're producing in. You know, you if you have one track that gets supported by someone huge. That'll get way more attention to the label than, you know, pretty much anything else will really. So like really focusing on that, I would say. I think a label can be something that is um, really important for an artist. But when you're a sort of up and coming artist that that's quite re- like relatively new to everything, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the first thing that you need to do. I think for us, it was something that we realised that would strengthen what we had already grown, if you, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it was after a few years of releasing records on other labels, that was when we realised that we really wanted to make our own brand and grow our own family of artists. So mm. I think, you know, if you're, you're an up and coming artist or, or a new artist, I don't think that that's necessarily the first thing that you need to focus on. I think you need to focus on the music first, you know, really create your own identity, you know, focus on originality and just try and put a body of work together that you can kind of, you can release on other labels and hopefully grow a name to the point where you feel like you're ready to grow. I mean, you see it a lot now, you know, artists, big artists, artists even haven't even started their own label and, and you know they're finally doing it when they feel like the timing's right so um i think that's probably the first thing that i'd say about yeah. that question and i i would also also question why what the, the label needs to have a purpose i would say if, you know, if it's a, if it's an artist label you need to sort of be honest with yourself about why you're starting it and if it's because the labels that you like and want to get on aren't signing your stuff 
then you've kind of got to ask the question as to why they're not signing the stuff. Unless, of course, you're making something that's so unique and so different that there isn't a home for it elsewhere, in which case do it. But, you know, if you're making kind of, just to use a techno example, let's say you're making, you know, craft tech style music, but you you know, you keep getting knocked back by craft tech, for an example, what it could, the label could be whatever. If the only reason you're starting your own label is because you're not getting it picked up by the labels that you want to, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the wisest thing because you'll always get more exposure by releasing stuff on established labels first. And then I would say, as, as exactly what Rich said, that you know, once you've that once you are established to a degree, if you want a bit more freedom that the labels that you're on aren't offering you, or you know, you want to start building your own brand, then it's a good idea. But I think starting a new label when you're on the sort of you know the the earliest stages of your career, unless you're doing something really out there that isn't going to fit anywhere else, then it's probably better to wait. Would be my advice. But you know, if you do decide to take that step, then then obviously I think it's important to come up with an identity for the label. You know, you know, come up with a, a good name. Obviously, um, you know, really, hopefully, you, you're already an artist that's established enough or made enough music to know you know what your direction is and and where where you want to go. And and you know, I think that's something that you, you definitely need to think about is is the identity of the label, you know, uh, what sound you want to push, whether it's going to be, you know, really experimental or whether it's going to be something that's a bit more focused, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and and then- I think making, sorry, making that identity clear as well, you know, so if you release your first five releases and one of them's like a really hard techno thing, one of them's really melodic, you know, one of them's a breakbeat track, whatever, even the people who like one of those tracks isn't going to get into your label because they, you know, they only like one out of the first five or whatever. Yeah, it, um, it needs consistency. Consistency, and yeah, but that's part of the identity, isn't it? You know, like exactly. if people say, you know, that's the label that you go to for, you know, Hungarian trancy breaks or whatever, you know, like, but you know, whatever your niche is, carve it out and make it clear that that's your niche, basically. Yeah. And then obviously it can be such a useful tool, you know, when, you, when you're growing your own brand, um, you know, like what happened with us, I think we started out releasing on Respect and for the first five or six releases, it was just us releasing our own music and, and growing the label and, you know, growing the name, you know, advertising the fact that, you know, we've, we've got our own label now and that it's an outlet for our own music. But then eventually, you know, if, if there's enough success, then that's when other artists start sending you their music and that's when you can kind of grow your family of artists um and that's when you know you can kind of really push the boundaries in which, which way you want to go the direction that you want to go um and and just kind of grow this brand um that you know just just has a has a sort of family identity mm. but then also makes your releases special yeah and i get i guess that's there's kind of two routes there really isn't it because you can have an artist label that really is just an outlet for your own music and there's plenty of people mm. who do that and do it well um mm. or you can have an artist-led label, which is kind of you curate it, but there's you know stuff on there that isn't what you would make, you know, which is kind of what we do with respect. And I think obviously you can change your mind with that, but I think that is an important decision to make as well. You know, does the label just want to re- re- reflect your identity as an artist, or does the label want to eventually have its own identity that's associated with you rather than being the same thing? Yeah, I agree. I see some of the big la- like if you think of some of the, the like I was thinking about the other day, some of the really really great labels that. Like you think like Ninja or Hospital, people like that that just have like artists in certain parts of certain genres because they can, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's their base in that genre. And then they, but they're also got artists in this genre and this, and it kind of gives them more width, but they just like, this is the person we're in, you know, yeah. for Hospital, for instance, Liquid, and, and then they've got more in this space and this space. But you think about Ninja, they've got people that are in different spaces and different genres, but they're just, it just it works for them, and and that's their and that's their foothold in each of those lab- those genres. Yeah, there's still an identity to it, though. You know, that's the thing, and it's obviously you know who um, I don't know all the backstories, but yeah, whoever was initially doing the A and R there obviously had a clear enough vision that even if you're releasing different stuff, there was still enough of a thread between yeah. those different things for it to you know still sound like an ninja tune. 
or still sound like a hospital record. You know, that's. Um, I mean, that's 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 good A and Ring. It is. Yeah. 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 And the same. Yeah. Same with the big techno records. Tech, big techno levels, I guess, as well. And the second. What was the second question? The second question was best practices to get DJ support for these tracks for the tracks they're making. So so yeah. So if, if if people if people wanted you to play the records, for instance, straight away before you even signed them, is that a thing you would do, or would you kind of look at it from a signing point of view? Would you just they send you records just to play? Is that is that wise for them to do? Um, I mean, it would be, to most the advice would be basically the same as what we were saying about with demos, really. I mean, if somebody sent us something we loved it that we haven't already got, I mean, in fact, Sam Kitt is a good example, actually, because he sent us a release that he had lined up on Tronic, which was already signed. So he obviously wasn't sending it us as a demo, but we still played it out having seen it, you know, got it as a personal promo rather than, you know, we saw it a little bit earlier than we would have done just through getting the Tronic mail out. So, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I would say the advice is much the same, to be honest. Uh, cool. Yeah, much the same as what we said about demos. Yeah. Like like Paul said, get getting the records in the right hands of the of the people you know that you want it to be you know played by, but also e- equally know, knowing who might play, play your music as well. You know um, that that's kind of that definitely helps. And and like we said before, again for the third time, making that personal connection. If yeah, you can, if you can meet them and, and, and hand mean, them the, the music, then that'd be great. It is one other advantage though to signing stuff to an established label because they'll a already have an established promo pool, which obviously you can you know you can buy into. But you know as a DJ, similar to demos, we get sent a hell of a lot of promos and the stuff that's on labels that we know we love or that you know will always get listened to quicker than you know the ones that are just from a label that we've never heard of before so yeah as an up-and-coming artist getting those few tracks on not even huge labels but established labels that have already got a following is you know i would say if i, if I was to be advising someone to do it, i would say that's a, a more sensible approach than just sort of starting from zero with your own label Nice. Let's talk about the live show. You've built a new live show. Tell me about it. Let's go. Okay, so where do I start? Um, so many, many moons ago, the way um, we used to do, when we first sort of started out as Spectre, um, obviously because there's two of us, we're a DJ duo. Um, I think very early on in our sort of DJ career, if you like, um, we realized that when we were performing, like we kind of wanted to do a bit more than just mm-hmm down there and DJ back to back. So uh, early on, we, we did a sort of hybrid live show that was that was um, born from Ableton very, very early on in our in our DJ career. And I think we ran that for a, for a good few years, kind of had a controller and, and sort of drum loops and effects and stuff over the top of, of somebody else DJing. So it was kind of like a hybrid live thing. Mm. Still spontaneous and still, you know, having great, great moments that you wouldn't normally find in those tracks that we were playing. And that worked for us for a while, but I think it got to the point where we, we saw, you know, other live shows popping up that you know were probably a bit more live than what we were doing but also probably we were a bit limited by the the technology at the time and what we really wanted to do so we we kind of shelved that uh, yeah. um, and so we've just, been just DJing to back to back interject that though I think also it was at a point where people where people adding laptops or samplers and things to their DJ sets was becoming more and more the norm so we felt a little bit disingenuous calling our live set uh, sorry our DJ set with extra bits live when you know more and more DJs normal was, DJ sets were incorporating bits like that they so. were, they, there was a big switch from, from CDJs to Tractor I think so mm. a lot of mm. DJs were turning up with a laptop and then that inevitably led to them turning up with a laptop and a controller and like that that was kind of what we were doing and calling it live. Yeah. So it was obviously it was a bit different because we weren't just playing from Tractor and there was two of us that were playing. You know, but what, the line became a bit blurry. The line became yeah. a bit more blurry. So yeah. that was kind of when we shelved that for a while with with the intention of bringing it back probably a bit sooner than, than we did. <laughs> like, to be honest, that was probably ten years ago. Now. <laughs> that is probably ten years ago. Um, so during, I mean, I think we always kind of planned that once we'd finished our third album and had it released, that 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 would be the time to kind of base the live show on the album. 
and start to plan for, for that year and hopefully tour off the back of the album, which, which obviously brought us, brought us to COVID. So yeah. as, as we've mentioned already, but it gave us a bit more time um, yeah. to, to kind of really tweak what we wanted to do with the live show. And so we've, we've kind of built it during COVID. Yeah. Well, um, we, we kind of, we had, we it. had a version almost ready to go. We were about to go into rehearsals really like when COVID struck, but then, cause we've had two more years to sit and think about it. We've kind of changed everything. <laughs> and, added new bits of kit. Develop, well. Yeah. Ch- changed the technical setup, changed the tracks. Cause obviously we've written a lot of new music in the intervening time. So I think to be honest, whilst I would have happily not had the interruption, what we've got now is stronger and, you know, more, um, you know, more together than what we had before. Um, Definitely. So I, th- I think it would have evolved over time, you know, ha- given mm. if we had have gone straight into that. Oh, but, but I think what we have now is definitely better than, yeah. than what we had at the start. So it's, it's kind of grown naturally, even though it's all been behind closed doors, if you like. Yeah. So, I mean, actually, so if you guys want a bit of this sort of techie stuff, we, we actually, we we're in midway. definitely want a techie. <laughs> so we're midway through doing our sort of technical shakedown this week of just sort of basically setting it all up, make, you know, running through things pre-rehearsal and just making sure everything works. Um, so in fact, should we just move to move aside because you can actually it's in the background here. So oh we can no. actually oh no. like, yeah, you've got a sort of mid-rehearsal. So like, uh, like, let me see if I can sort of get the focus over here. So um, yeah, you have, you have, you have, you're wicked. Yeah. So we've got on our uh, on my right here. In fact, let me just flip the camera around a bit. Let's do a little uh, a little show and tell. Oh look there. Um, so yeah, we've got a couple of Behringer bits here. Got the Pro One, <laughs> the, the lamp. <laughs> Get a bit of light in there. Um, put the big light on. Um, yes, yeah, so we've got the Behringer Pro One and the Behringer Cat, which are um, yeah, basically just doing the the Pro One's doing what uh, we would normally use Repro for, like Rich said earlier in our in our tracks. So that's doing sort of arps and twinkly bits and stuff. The cat is doing our sort of Chemical Brothers impression with lots of mad feedback effects and uh, and stuff. Uh, Ableton Push, which is kind of the controller hub of the whole thing. So yeah, playing melodies in on there and uh, and bits and bobs. Little mixer. And then over the other side, we've got... What have we got in there? Shit. Just my chair mainly. Um, TE3 here for the acid tear outs over our tracks. Um, obviously, now we've got the, the V10 mixer because that's the one that uh, we need to have the amount of channels that we need for all the gear that we've got. Obviously, we've got a laptop as well and one DJS sampler just for like drum machine type extra effects, drum rolls, that kind of thing. Get, get some break beats in there as well. Um, and then we've got the RD9, which is the the, um, the Roller 909 um, simulator, um, which is sounding great, um, um, the, the Behringer um, RD9. And then we've got an iPad just for like little bits of um, vocal and stuff that we can kind of uh, tweak with and mess around with over the top. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the quick, the quick, super quick run through of it. Um, but yeah, I'm sure the kit list will evolve, and uh, you know the way we work, it'll, it'll, it'll no doubt evolve over time as well. But yeah, that's kind of the the sort of version 2.0 Spectre live setup. That's mental. There's lots. Holy shit. Lots to learn and rehearse <laughs> and make mistakes with. <laughs> yeah, that's how you learn. Um, but yeah, it's all yeah. our tracks. Um, I mean, there's a couple of little re-edits or remixes of other people's tracks in there, but it's all, yeah, it's, I would say, 95% Spectre tracks with a couple of one well-known Spectre remix and, and actually the the, uh, the Lost in Love uh, thing that we were talking about before is in there as well mm-hmm. in a slightly different form to the version that we've been playing in uh, in our DJ sets. But um, 
but yeah, it's all our own music. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's a Spectre live set in the same way that if you went to see, you know, a big electronic act, you know, if you went to see Bicep or the Prodigy or the Chemical Brothers, you know, it'd be all their own, their own stuff. So it's, it's that rather than an enhanced DJ set, you know, it's a real live performance of, of our stuff. That's mental. And then and have you thought about, do you have to think about stage aesthetics and how it's going to look on there and how, how you're going to be set up and like, like some of these big... Live acts do as well. I think for some of the for some of the shows that we've got penciled in, and and you know we've we've kind of made sure that we're 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 having the live show on the bigger shows, if if you like the bigger stages. Mm-hmm. So I think those kind of festivals that we're playing at that we've got penciled in the diary. Um, or confirmed in the diary, I should say. Um, they're the the big stages that have those live shows on there anyway. You know, they're yeah. used to they're used to kind of housing that. They've got like possibly yeah, yeah. two stations which they sort of slide in and out. So, but yeah, I mean, in it's, terms it's, of actually setting up and how it's going to look, yeah. like it's kind of controlled. But, by but we haven't done a huge amount festival. in in terms in terms of stage aesthetics. You know, we've not got any huge sort of show element to it. Like a vi- uh, some sort of like live visual element is something that we would definitely like to incorporate. But we're not we're trying not to um, bite off more than we can chew in one go. Yeah, I, I think if we we can do these first run of summer dates with this and everything's sweet and uh, and it all goes well then you know further enhancements and things like that are something that we will definitely look at you know sort of certainly in terms of the sort of visual you know L- you know led screen type side of it but yeah no we're not going to wear any like crazy costumes or uh, robot heads or anything like that <laughs> <laughs> when you're planning these live set with the live set where do you is there kind of like you were using that tech to make the out make the tracks in the first place, or did you kind of have to pull in? Go right, we're going to use this piece of tech and this piece of tech because it makes the sounds we want. Where how did that planning start? Certain plugins that we used kind of like naturally translate to to bits of hardware, don't they? Mm. Really, I mean, like like I mentioned before, Repro is, is naturally the Pro One. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think we we trialed the the Minilog, didn't we? The Korg, the Korg. Um, yeah. So I mean, the, the the for a replacement for Diva. The kind of decision that we needed to make really was how different from the recorded versions do we want the live versions to be? That was the sort of question that it all hinged around. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously, we could do the whole thing live. You know, like replace all the drums with the you know with the TR, uh, the RD9, replace all the synths with things. But I think if we did that, because because our stuff's quite software based and quite processing heavy, the live versions would end up sounding a bit too far removed from the versions that people are familiar with, which isn't, you know, wasn't what we wanted. So Hmm. it was striking that balance really and finding, you know, enough, so there's enough live performance and enough improvisation that, you know, it doesn't just sound like we're hitting, hitting play on a, you know, on a, on a DAT machine or a recording or whatever, but there's enough, you know, that there is a difference. So like the 303, the TD, TD3 was obviously an easy, easy decision to make. There's quite a few acid bits in our track. So, you know, that's an easy, easy translation. Mm -hmm. As Rich said, the Pro One, we use Repro ROM, which is a software recreation of a, of a Pro One, the barrier of made a hardware sort of, um, clone of it so you know that was straightforward and then yeah the other bits really the the cat is just a bit of fun you know that's adding something that isn't in the original <laughs> tracks and then other than that it's effects really we've got a couple of um source audio pedals uh, that we use for reverb and delay just because they were you know the best we, you know the best the ones that integrated the best really you know they work well well work well on synths it's fairly similar to what we would use in the studio plugin wise yeah and that that's it really you know then it was nice. more okay with the things like the djs 1000 and um the ipad then once we've got the basics down thinking of what we could add that would be fun or would be interesting really you know and uh that that was why we ended up with those yeah i think version one i think we didn't have the the, the v10 wasn't actually out when we first started putting the live show together so the the mixer was a bit of an issue for us so we had actually had two next 900 mixes um you know next to each other and i think we even had two djs 1000 samplers as well mm. um so that was kind of how 
the version one sort of started yeah. out, wasn't it? Although then, still we're out of channels, so we've still got to use a little sidecar mix <laughs> to, to mix all the synths anyway. Yeah, we, need, so, we need an eight-channel Vita. <laughs> yeah, this is how it's kind of progressed. So now we've kind of got rid of one of the DJSs, got rid of one of the mixes, got the V10, which has given us six channels, but then obviously still need more channels for some of the, the outputs yeah. for the gear. So, But it's quite nice having a DJ mixer rather than, you know, like a, a sort of traditional studio or front of house board because it's quite nice having things like separate cues for us both which is um, like a lot easier to do on the v10 than it would be on another mixer actually having some quite dj style built-in effects works quite well as well because you know at the end of the day it's still a dance music performance you know so having you know a few quick and easy effects that we can just snap on quite quickly on the uh, on the djm is beneficial so yeah i think certainly for the where we're at the setup works well but i'm pretty sure after we've done this run of summer dates that we've got coming up no doubt we'll we'll come back into the rehearsal room and be like, okay, well, you know, that bit worked a little bit less well than it could have done. But I feel like it'll be small revisions rather than tearing it down and starting again after this, probably. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it'll definitely evolve over time. And I think we've got just the right amount of um, of dates in the diary for, for the rest of the year for us to be able to sort of get to the end of those dates and be like, right, right, what worked, what didn't, you know, yeah. and, and get it ready for next year. Yeah. And, and hopefully... Uh, Version 2.5 will be even better. Yeah. <laughs> Skeleton Keys asks, how do you deal with side chaining in a live set? Um, so the short answer is we don't really. Because um, <laughs> I think a lot of the time when you're actually playing things on a big system, you know, that, sort of, that level of polish and sort of Christmas isn't really necessary. Um, but on the few things where we did, there's a few big leads and things that are running in software that we do need, that do need side chain on. And I actually just use... Um, a plugin called Sidekick, which I'm sure some of the guys will have used, um, which you can just automate on and off. But that's only on software sources because we've got a few plugins since running on Ableton as well. So it would be a bit more of a pain if you wanted to sidechain the hardware. You know, say we wanted to sidechain the TD3 or, or the kit and all the Pro 1. But to be honest, yeah, we found that it doesn't, you know, it sounds a little bit more raw and a little bit less polished just running them without any <clears throat> side chain on, but not to the point where it, you know, not to the point where it causes us a problem, really. So, uh, so yeah, we've we've solved it by not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Okay, cool. Um, and, you, and you mentioned you've got a run of live shows. Is there going to be a mix of live show and DJ shows or is it going to all be live shows now? Little bit of a mix. Um, we've got a USA tour coming up at the end of July. Um, so that's a mixture of, of DJ gigs um, in the West Coast US, um, with a which ends with a with a festival, um, a big festival called well, Day Moves. Yeah, Day Moves, but yeah, it's it's Cross. from the guys from uh, from Cross yeah. that run run lots of festivals in San Diego. Mm -hmm. So that one's the live show. That one's the big the big show of the yeah. tour. Um, and then following that, we've got um, sort of three live shows. Sorry, two yeah, two in Germany, two in Germany yeah. uh, on on the same weekend. Yeah, uh, so in different cities. Yeah, that's right. So it's um, is it Echelon, Echelon and, and Nibiri. Nibiri festivals? Yeah, both in sort of ones in like near Munich, ones near Cologne. And again, um, these cool. these are shows that we had uh, sort of penciled throughout COVID. So yeah, these you know. were originally booked for the live show before we tore it all apart and redid yeah. it like before COVID. <laughs> but um, but the, thankfully the bookings nice. have stayed in. So it's all good. But yeah. yeah, then over the rest of summer though, we've got um, yeah, there's there's only those three live dates at the moment. But I'm I'm sure there'll be more in winter. But then lots and lots of DJ shows in between them as well. So that's cool. Yeah, because I was wondering how you then can continuously support the label music of you. But that's cool. You've got DJ gigs as well, which is wicked. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's not everywhere that would demand a live gig. Or that would want to pay for the live and, for the live show. I don't and, think we would want to be doing no. it too much because I don't think you want to like because it's playing all our own catalogue. You know, we wouldn't want to do too many shows in the same territories either. Mm. You know, like if mm. we do one in, you know, let's say we do a show in Amsterdam, we wouldn't want to do Amsterdam again until nine months or a year later, really, because you know you don't want to be going back and doing the same show 
for the same audience more than once, you know, whereas with a live thing, obviously it is going to, you know, it'll change slightly. But with a DJ set, we could go and play a completely different set, two different weekends, whereas the live show isn't going to be as fluid in this change. Yeah, we, we never meant the live show to replace our DJ sets, for sure. You know, it was never, we're never just, we, we don't just want to be a live act, you know, like yeah. that's not, that's not the goal. I think the goal is to to kind of have a live show as an option for us to, to, book, to book us on the bigger stages and uh, and sort of make sure you have the, the DJ sets in between yeah, as well. Definitely. I guess that expands and grows the brand generally as well. With that, once you've got that bigger, that bigger thing as well, don't you? as well. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> that's the plan. Fingers crossed, guys. Fingers oh. crossed. <laughs> Wicked. Well, that sounds well fun. I want to go see the live show. Sounds well good. Well, mate, come along. Yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah, the German dates are on the nineteenth and twentieth of August. So uh, yeah, get your flights booked. <laughs> nice, gang. If you're in Germany, go and see them. Go and see them. And the final final question uh, is is the Pete Griffiths question, which he asked me. Which he, I was I was at Tour Room once, and he was saying to, like I was pretty in the tunnel, kind of work, 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 dance music, dance music. And he said to like, what what else are you doing? What's your hobbies? What what like when music becomes your hobby, what are you doing outside of your hobbies? So and I love that. So, and I kind of changed, made me change what I was doing a little bit and looked at what I was doing outside of music and work. So and now I actually had to, I asked all the guests this, what do you like doing outside of music that's, that keeps you sane and mentally happy? Jim usually keeps me the most sane, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Regular exercise, regular exercise, great for the brain, great for the body. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, uh, that's something that I've learned to be uh, addicted to, Jim. Definitely, yeah. And I, I think doing something physical is is important. You know, like I think, um, you know, we spend all our lives sat in front of screens and sat in, you know, seats on on planes and stuff. So doing physical stuff is really important. You know, like I, I'm, I, I go to the gym, but I, it's a it's a means to an end for me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm addicted to it, but um, I'm lucky enough where I live here in uh, just outside Sheffield to be right on the edge of the Peak District. So, yeah, getting out and walking, not in summer certainly, getting out and walking, taking the dog out, actually just getting some fresh air, no earphones in, like no music on you know like really just separate from all that stuff and uh, but as a creative outlet <clears throat> i love to cook as well um that's definitely sort of a hobby of mine but yeah i'm quite happy for that one to stay as a hobby i've, I've already ruined music but i turned it into my job so <laughs> don't want to do it <laughs> oh nice what are you cooking have you ever seen it chat is that a cooking um, term Bit of all sorts. I, I, mean, I love doing barbecue food. I've like looking if we've had the the sort of garden sorted out here, and we've got a big outdoor cooking area and stuff. So at the moment, while it's not raining in the UK, which is like yeah. a relatively narrow window at this time of year, um, yeah, barbecues every day here. So yeah, that's well, that's my. I wouldn't say it's a signature, nice. but like, my like if it's not raining, I'm having a barbecue. <laughs> oh, oh my god, we love a barbecue. Shelley, Shelley, my other half is the is the barbecue master. In fact, well, our son came home with a smoker the other day. Oh my days! So we got this now. This nice, mad, mad smoker that's going to go. It's going to live in the gardens. Excellent. Yeah, he literally won it in a competition at work. Seeing as we're on Twitch as well, then I might as well mention my my slight gaming hobby. Mm-hmm. Which... <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm a gamer, and I know lots of people into music are also into gaming as well, especially the way streaming is now and uh, everything like that. So yeah, I'm I'm a bit of a an Xbox fan. Play live quite a lot. Halo, obviously, and Call of Duty are probably my main two go tos. Um, I, I definitely sway more towards the first-person shooters than any of the, the sports or anything like that. But I think over the years, I've probably gamed a bit too much in in my time. So I've, I've tried. I've been learning to kind of c- curtail my habit a little bit in, in the in the recent uh, months while we've been focusing on the live show. So, but that's uh, that's one of my hobbies as well. Some questions from the audience. In fact, live live questions. When prepping for a live show, do you recreate the acid lines or are they saved? 
from tracks that are already made? So it's a bit of a mixture. So what we've done is we don't actually program the acid lines in live, but but they are a lot of them are different to what's in the original versions of the track, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, so we've got a live version of um, a good example is a track called The Dreamer that we released on um, Misfit a few years ago, <clears throat> which had a little acid snippet in it, but we've kind of developed that into a live version that's a full on, you know, sort of snarling, slightly hard floor-esque, I guess, acid line. So yeah, the, they're pre-programmed and pre-saved into the TD3. But yeah, they're not always the same as the released version of the track. If that's, uh, hope that answers that one. That makes sense. What music are you liking outside of your genre? Is another question. Drum and bass for me at the moment, to be honest. Yay! Like, because, I'm, <laughs> because I'm in the gym so much, I constantly listen to drum and bass mixes. Like that's probably a sort of side passion of mine. What drum and bass are you listening to? A lot of sub-focus, a lot of friction. Uh, I love Andy C, I love Ram. Um, I mean, a lot of the jump-up stuff for me, as long as it's high energy, um, you know, like it's good for listening in the gym. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a connoisseur, but, I've, you know, I've got, got sub-focus albums and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I like K9 as well. So, yeah, just a few of the probably, I mean, someone that's a connoisseur of drum and bass could probably educate me in, in a big way. But, um, you know, the, the, the big artists of the of the jump-up drum and bass stuff, I, I love. And have you listened to the new Andy C remix of the, uh, Firestarter yet? Actually, I haven't, although I have seen it advertised on his socials. Oh, oh my days. Is it amazing? <laughs> it is amazing. It needs to go on your gym playlist I mean, straight away. Yeah, I, expect, I expect nothing less, really, to be honest. Um, Andy C, yeah. I mean, he's he's the he's the best for me. He's up there. Yeah, that needs to go on your he's gym playlist. for a reason. Yeah, what Leo said. I mean, you can't, you can't go to one of his sets and not just dance like crazy. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I know, right? Like, it's mental. Yeah. Yeah. I love watching Andy C. I mean, I've constantly got, there's one particular mix that I've got, which is the Subfocus and Wilkinson Essential mix. Like, that's just constantly on in my car because I just find it, it ticks all the boxes. But I wish there were more Andy C mixes online. So if anyone's got any Andy C mixes, please send them to me. I mean, I've got all the nightlifes, but I mean, like, live sets, send them to me. It's, they just don't. We, do you know the amount of times we go, can we have an Andy C podcast? No. Can we have an Andy C podcast? No. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. Literally, literally every every year I'll, I'll email management and go, can we have an Andy C podcast this year? Or now Shelley does it and she's like, can we have it? No, no, not happening. <laughs> Please, Andy. There must be some out there. There must be. We listen to quite a lot of stuff. I, I'm not going to sort of waffle on too much, but um, I actually just sent you an email, Graham, with our um, Spotify off-duty playlist, which we've put together, um, which is kind of just a playlist of a load of bits that we both like that we kind of listen to when we're not in techno mode. Um, so I don't know if you want to oh, share that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, share it on the chat. I'd say that playlist probably answers the question in a better way that, than we... Yeah, I nearly mentioned Paul's just got back from Glasgow, so he's in full-on indie indie mode. Yeah, well, I mean, just yeah, just music mode. It's like it's yeah. and there is definitely something about seeing whether it's a singer or a band or whatever. You know, like obviously I'm a huge electronic music fan, but there's definitely something about seeing like actual you know real musicians. Um, sort of you know the synergy of that on stage is something that I yeah I'll I'll never tire of. I don't think so. There's always. Yeah, much as I'm a dance music kid at heart. Who, 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 you, who did you see at Glasgow, Paul? Still quite a few, but the the absolute highlights were um, St. Vincent and um, Rasheen Murphy were both absolutely superb, like just sort of great performers, great bands with them. Yeah, they were they were really, really good. Uh, and both feature in the playlist, like, both in the recently added batch on the, uh, on the, uh, on the playlist. I mean, I've been fans oh. before, but obviously, yeah, when you see people live, it kind of gives you a different appreciation of, of what they do, for sure. 
Yeah, do you know, I watched a load of it at home with a, with a, with a cider all weekend. And, and uh, I, the Bonobo Live show, I was we're talking about live, live electronic. I was talking about, I watched the Bonobo Live show and that was amazing. And I was like... We were there for like, that. It was really good. Although the sound cut out like about three tracks in. like the um, And yeah, so th- there was a bit of an interruption which kind of like killed the flow of it. But I'm guessing they probably edited it out for the um, for the, mm, for the tally company. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, there was sort of this slightly embarrassing moment because obviously all the musicians had in-ears. So the whole system cut out, but obviously the band were all still playing away because they had their in-ear, mo- in-ear monitor mix. So there's this sort of like awkward, like three or four minutes where they were sort of reaching the climax of the song and all we could hear was just like the of the drums because there were a few rows And, you know, they all thought that everything was still hunky-dory. So, yeah, that was a bit of a weird moment. Yeah, the perils of doing live performance, I guess. Can't wait for those moments. Do you have to put something in now? Now you've seen that. Are you thinking in your head that you have to go, we should have somebody in the audience to wave if it, if it doesn't. Well, I mean, at out. the moment we're using, we're still using like actual monitors on stage, so we, we would know about it now. But they were, yeah, because they were using in-ear monitors. They obviously didn't realise, but um, but it was a wicked set though. Like that interruption didn't didn't spoil it. It was, uh, yeah, it's a good example of someone who's obviously like a studio musician by trade. Ta- you know, taking that, um, you know, taking that uh, like concept into a live thing and, and doing it really, really well. So yeah, it's definitely. Definitely an impressive, uh, impressive translation. Wicked, wicked guys! I think we're there. Wicked, thank you. Oh, so much good. For well, yes, this has been so much fun. Thank you for us on. Yeah, cheers, Graham. It's been, so it's been fun. a pleasure. Great, great to see you both, and um, look forward to seeing Thanks, the live mate. show. Wicked, all good.